silent. So the cocktail has met with the approval, yes? Yes, definitely. Good. Mind you, my standards are quite low. <laughs> um, I'm with a delightful Lucas Brown or Locified, if you want to have a look at some of his incredible photography on Instagram, or um, the host of The Math of You, if you want to hear his dulcet tones talking to people about stuff on his podcast. G'day. Hello, Joe. I am happy to be here. That's, I, I'm happy that you're here because you're making the cocktails. That's true. It is something with The Math of You, which is a podcast about formative media from when we were young, mm-hmm. where I talk to people and at the end of every episode, I make them a custom cocktail. Whereas you have been seeing that in person because you've been to my house at one point to hold my new baby. And there is a picture of you having been just handed a cocktail and a new baby in either hand. Look, I it's the first time that I've visited a newborn with a cocktail in hand, and I think it should be tradition. It's one of those things. I have old-fashioned standards where if people are coming to my house for something, I should give them coffee, I should give them some kind of drink, and perhaps have some kind of biscuit available, or a selection of biscuits in a best-case scenario. Look, speaking of old-fashioned mm. and not cocktails, we're going to talk about an older cult today, and sometimes I just I don't go racing towards the 1800s cults because there's generally less information and they might be a little bit stayed by today's standards. But this one is sexy as hell. It's a lot. Tell me who we're talking about. Tell me your stupid name. Tell me your stupid name. We are talking about the Oneida community. Mate, I'm so... I had, there's been a few people that have suggested this to me and it was one of those things where at first I had a little look and I went, ugh, black and white photos, ugh, hoop skirts. And then I just Utopian went. Utopian communities, get out of here oh with that. Oh, my God. And I got this. This probably summarises the Oneida cult quite well, but most of my research is from a book called Oneida from Free Love Utopia to the well-set table um, by Ellen Wayland Smith, who's a he's she's a descendant of the cult leader. Oh, I see. But there are quite a few descendants of the cult leader. There's a lot of them. <laughs> Cause I don't know if you know this, but they kind of invented, well, let's see, free love, women's live, polyamory, tantric sex, uh, oh, and the it's complicated Facebook relationships. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Also, spoons, but we'll get there. Actually, before we do. I just realized, Joseph Evelyn Thornelli, mm. I did not just bring cocktail ingredients. I sourced a fork. Yay! I, as you were going downstairs, I thought, has he got some? I went and found, this is a coronation dinner fork. And the pattern is from the Oneida community. It is was, I believe, launched in 1936, that particular pattern. But it could have been made any time between then and the mid-70s. It's very beautiful and it's got the word community on the back, which mm-hmm. is, you know, they were well before Joel McHale's time. Damn right. And yet they also fired Dan Harmon in season three. So the leader <laughs> of this group is John Humphrey Noyes. And I'm going to just make a whole lot of puns like, bring the noise. I was going to say, you got to come on and feel the noise. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like that Key and Peele sketch. And it's just every time you say his name, it's got to be noise. Noise. Uh, he was born in 1811, which is neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. But more significantly, even though this is a little bit racist, he was born a ginger. I mean, you can't say it's correlation or causation, really, because who's to know? But he was there. He was, whether or not it was because of the gingerness. And, you know, like I've gone out with some ginger people, but he was painfully shy around women or just awkward and he got all flustered. But the good thing about gingers is you can't tell when they're blushing. Um, But I got to say, Mr. Noyce was born to a minister slash teacher slash businessman slash politician, which reminds me of that guy from Black Books where he's like, I take pictures, I sell ice cream. You know, the CIA, I do some work for them. Well, he was always going to be a preacher of some sort, I think. Yeah. And he studied theology at Yale Seminary. Wait, seminary? Seminary. Just semen place. Yes. Um. Well, he'd said that his heart was fixed on the millennium and he resolved to live or die by it, which sounds profound, but it's factually true for literally everyone. He was a millennial. <laughs> a millennial the, ginger. The, like the kind from before, Lucas, <laughs> a before millennial. He was chucked out 
of preacher school and he's I didn't know you could get a preaching license, but they revoked it. Yeah. Although I do like his snappy comeback. This isn't quite Dorothy Parker level, but I do like that he said, uh, I have told them not to sin, and yet they continue to do so. Uh, they've told me not to preach, so I'm going to continue to do so too. Preach I, on! Hallelujah! I think he dropped the mic and Moon walked out of the room. But while he was there, and this is, I can't tell if noise is... He's either the most progressive black and white photograph man in the whole world or he's the world's first incel. But Two things can be true. I know. And the progressive side, he, he started one of America's first anti-slavery societies. That's true. Which in the 18, I think, 40s by that time was pretty, pretty cool. Great at anti-slavery, really bad at girlfriends although he fell in love with his first convert and she had one of the best names in the entire world which was abigail merlin i just (laughs) but abigail married someone else and do you reckon i reckon this started a bit of a pattern where when noise didn't get what he wanted he just decided that God had told him that that shit wasn't cool anymore. I decided I'm going to make my own whatever it was with blackjack and hookers. But what specifically struck me about Mr. Noyce in his schooling years is that he went through a similar stage that a lot of us do when we first take that compulsory philosophy class in every Bachelor of Arts program, no matter what the hell you're taking. We're a pain in the ass to everyone that knows us. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so he learned what I learned, which is about syllogisms and Euler circles, which is where if something is contained within one circle and is also contained within a larger circle, therefore those two things are true. So, for example, if God is love and love is blind, therefore God can't see you when you're sneaking stuff out of a liquor cabinet. Although I have been told he can see people masturbating. But it is equally true to a given value of true as per the statement. But it's also like if I lost a game of Monopoly, mm-hmm. then I would just say, oh, P.S., God tells me that whoever comes second at Monopoly is way cooler than whoever won. And it sounds like you're making a joke, but that's pretty much what he did. Because while he, while he was really good at making snap judgments on who would have won Monopoly, he was bad at math. And because, girls. Yeah, and, and girls. There I you go. I can't that enough. Um, but what he did is he basically forgot to carry the two. Mm. And he decided that the second coming had already happened. Jesus came in AD 70. This is one of the reasons that he got chucked out mm. of preacher school. Because it's kind of like, oh, and he was trying to calculate when Jesus was coming back. And he went, oh, shit. Oh, he's already been back and you guys missed it. You missed it. But what that means is if that's already done, then we're golden, baby. We are living in the new age, free of sin. Except you, know? you have to, it is everyone's job to make this heaven on earth. So you do yeah. have to be good, mm-hmm. but... But Johnny just kind of changed what good meant. Oh, he was really good at this. According to him, unless man's free from sin, then Christianity is a lie. And only those who have perfect, who are perfect and free from sin can really be true Christians. And luckily, according to him and ergo God, he was. So that just made it all easy, didn't it? Yep. And so when Abigail Merlin, because I can't say her name enough, uh, married someone else. She just wasn't really interested in noise. He yeah. said, okay, well, here's the deal. Actual marriage doesn't count. Only spiritual wives count. Therefore, I don't have to be discouraged by the fact that the incredibly named Abigail Merlin is married to someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still married, yo, and <laughs> uh, I'm fine. I can keep pursuing her. Yeah, and also because he had surrendered his will to God, everything he chose to do was perfect because his choices came from a perfect heart. Independent will comes from God and is therefore divine. So he literally started making decisions based on whatever his intuition was in that moment because whatever he chose would be right. Therefore, again, coming back to that syllogism shit, everything he did was correct. So I guess you should all just listen to me. I mean, that's... Pretty much every cult leader ever. 
as far as cult leaders go, I actually think he was kind of cool. Yeah. And with not even a gun to my head, maybe a Nerf ball at my head (laughs) would join. Look, it sounds like a very cool place to spend a summer. I don't know if I could live there for 41 years. Yeah. In the 1800s, a whole lot of utopian communities sprung up and a lot of it, a lot of those communities were inspired by a French socialist called Charles, uh, of course it's spelled Fourier, but I'm sure it's Fourier. And he's credited with coining, well, with inventing the term feminism, which is probably because he's a man, so he's really clever. (laughs) I have heard that. And so once he'd been chucked out of the seminary, Moved to Putney in Vermont because that's such a such a holy sounding place, and started the Putney Bible School, which became the Society of Inquiry. Which, out of the two names, that's Much the better. cooler one. It does sound like a steampunk detective agency. And there he does a couple of things. He learns to use a printing press, which is good because he's quite egotistical and likes to spread well his word at this point. And he gets married to Harriet. Good old Harriet. And when Harriet gets pregnant five times but has four miscarriages, poor Harriet, he realises that childbirth is a struggle. So in true noise form, he goes, um, I don't think people should have to have babies. I don't think that's a thing. I don't think we should make people have babies. It's fine. Because I think so. It came from God. And so therefore... That's fine. Yeah. Oh, I've got to point something out, though. There's two, like, bullet points in one of the scholarly articles that I read. The first one says, In 1838, these life experiences with his wife led Noyes to begin study of sexual intercourse. The very next point was 1844, six years later. Noyes decided to live separately from his wife and claims the separation brought satisfaction that neither he nor his wife had ever experienced before. Look, I... My boyfriend lives in another state. I understand that completely. Yeah. It's like, just like, let, first it's, let me study you. And then it's just, maybe we should be apart for a little while. Yeah. And in Putney, because I think just the word Putney inspired such horniness in everybody. <laughs> Putney, it's like, put it in me. But nope, probably editing that out. So the the noises and some of the other couples were kind of like, mm, let's be swingers for a bit. Mm-hmm. They all just thought, well... If God's telling us that monogamy is actually sinful because it's selfish, then we should just get to fucking. And just really having rampant nooks with any other member of the small community. Yeah, it, it was, although there was very strong emphasis on consent. Everyone who's Absolutely. involved has to be into it, otherwise it's no fun. So they essentially invented and were claimed to have invented free love. Yeah. Way before all the smelly hippies in the 60s. Let's not pretend that people in the 1800s didn't smell. So they're smelling a bit and they're all having sex with each other, but we are still in Vermont in the 1840s. Mm -hmm. So Noise is arrested for fornication and adultery, Mm -hmm. which is pretty much, you get a badge for that now. (laughs) Yeah, and he can't really deny it because it's there. I swear he'd have it embroidered on his jacket if he could. So we thought, "Mm, go to jail for having the sex I have so recently been introduced to and really like, or move to New York State. Take me to your Who's whomst among us has not had to make that choice? I tell you. So Oneida, Oneida, either way, it's east of Syracuse a bit and there's a lake Oneida Mm -hmm. and also when I was looking at the map, I realised for the first time that there's a Mexico in New York. Yes. Which is great and its, its slogan is, mother of towns and I just, but if there's a mother of towns, that implies that there's a father of towns. Mm -hmm. Anyway. (laughs) They call themselves the Oneida community and they properly start in 1848. <sighs> so we're in Oneida. We're in relatively simple housing at this point. We're trying to grow some fruit, mm-hmm. but there is, there is not a single cult that has tried to grow their own stuff that has picked somewhere with good soil. <laughs> There's something about... 
sort of divergent religious beliefs and practices and horticultural know-how mm-hmm. and they're just incompatible. Good at God, bad at farming. Yeah, right? But you'd think, wouldn't, if he was real, wouldn't he? Well, no, what you got to imagine is, uh, and I say this as someone who is the child of a minister and a child, and the child on the other side of an atheist. So I can say this with the full knowledge and sarcasm that both sides provide to mm. me. If it wasn't hard, then you wouldn't have learned nothing. Because if God just gave you stuff. Oh, that's why Christianity sucks. Yes. Correct. Top marks. I was one for a while, though. So I want to talk about their beliefs for a sec. Uh, We've talked about how Jesus already came back and we Mm. missed it. We were were buying smokes and he came back. That's right. Oh, you would have loved it. He he was great. He did magic tricks. Uh, He vanished a cart. It was in my drink the whole time. But I just think it's remarkable that he came back not only basically within a reasonable amount of time. Within living memory of when he left. Yeah. But also he did it really quietly because no one noticed. And in my experience, Jesus is kind of a slut for attention. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if it's I don't know if it's true, Lucas. That's the thing. This is a guy who curses fig trees because he's hungry and they don't have fruit right then. Oh, I do that. So it's just like, you know, oh, maybe this was hipster Jesus. This was, oh, he's a very small Jesus, you know, very, very, very exclusive. You probably never heard. I think hipster Jesus is a tautology, but <laughs> basically if you surrender your will to God, you will be perfect. Mm-hmm. But noise is the only one that can really hear God, so he decides what the will of God is. Mm-hmm. And that admittedly was when shit got a bit interesting. But Well, hey, his relationship to God officially cancelled out his obligation to obey traditional moral standards, normal laws of society, as well as the laws of nature, like do not eat this giraffe. But he's also got this overriding theme and overriding belief of communion and communism. So everybody shares in everything, including each other, with the sex, and everyone works and not necessarily in traditional gender roles as far as works Considered, blokes are doing laundry and women are helping make furniture and stuff. Uh-huh. And this was a time where women's roles were, their worlds were tiny and they were in clothes that meant that they couldn't really be that active. And I don't know how this group lasted as long as they did because they were ruled by 27 separate Committees. I had that too. 48 administrative sections and 27 standing committees. What the hell? How many of those could have just been an email? Jesus. Although, you know, the buck did stop at noise. He really, I mean, he really did make the rules. But I love that women were totally involved in totally. the governance. They could cut their hair. They could wear you know, useful clothes, do any job. They could shape policy. They were also involved in what was a really interesting thing, but was also, like, from my personal experience, sounded absolutely terrifying, which is mutual criticism. So mutual criticism, it sounds like one of those, like, development opportunities within an office. You stand in the middle of a circle of your peers, and one at a time, they tell you everything that's wrong with you. I mean, it sounds a little bit like just the Christmas dinner table. This is the two-minute hate, but directed at you, not at a foreign country you've never been to. I must admit, I the fact that they practice mutual criticism did not dissuade me from wanting to join this cult. You're meant to improve from it. You're meant to go, yeah, you're right. Well, I do suck. That's the thing. For the last 10 years, Noise has been bragging about the fact that he's free from sin and so he's trying to help everyone else get closer to being perfect human beings except you, Fred, you chew too loudly. So imagine that, though, and it there was a criticism committee but really anyone could join in. <laughs> Holy shit. Can you imagine if it was your turn and that was the day that where everyone turned up and they've got paperwork, they've got lists, they've been waiting for this time. Like I am actually getting tense just thinking about this. Oh, my God. There's a fictional T-shirt for every episode of this podcast Mm -hmm. and I just feel like without even making a joke, I just think mutual criticism (laughs) across your chest would be great. Yeah. I sort of touched on it, but they believed in equality of the sexes. I mean, kind of, mostly. For 1848 they did. Mm. And 
from the book that I mentioned before, uh, there's a quote which is, the biggest obstacle to liberation for women, Noyes believed, was their imprisonment in the perpetual cycle of childbirth and pregnancy that robbed them of vital strength and, not infrequently, life, which is again that you don't have to have babies thing, which I just, it's like with the exception of believing he's getting messages from God, it's like he's reading my mind. (laughs) But men were responsible for any contraceptive methods and women were encouraged to have orgasms. I love it. They were encouraged. In fact, there was a high value placed on women's satisfaction. And if a male didn't complete that, he faced public disapproval and private rejection and we're back to mutual criticism again. Hallelujah. It's time to talk about complex marriage or sexy, 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 sex. Sexy, 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 sex. Strap in. The complex marriage thing. He kind of made the swinging thing totally official. And he also theoretically, he separate only theoretically, thank goodness, he separated the penis and vagina from the testicles and the uterus. Because he had this concept of amative love, mm-hmm. which is, you know, communion with each other, which meant you're closer to God and it's just like the feeling when God enters you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've heard, not that God ever enters me, I'm yeah. a man, et cetera, et cetera. So fragile. I'm told he entered me once, but really <laughs> I just felt awkward. And the other side of it, which is propagative love, which is the making of babies mm-hmm. or pro- propagative sex. So the penis and the vagina are for the love stuff and the testicles and the uterus are for the baby-making stuff. And if I only love... we could involve some of that, but none of that, you right? know? Yeah, I'll have a bit of that. and a bit. It was like he was at a sexual smorgasbord, Lucas. Um, but I want I... the lettuce and I want the jelly. I don't want the croutons. Well, it's funny you should compare it to food because <laughs> from the book he compares it to a melon. He went, like, everyone loves the flesh of a melon, but they spit the seeds out. And so everyone loves the penis and vagina stuff. But But they spit the seed out. If you're not planting a melon tree, fuck the seeds. Which does remind me, maybe I should save it for your podcast, but it reminds me of a game we used to play. And can I just say that our dog loved it? Wait. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm just leaving you there in that that moment. We had a white dog called Tammy. And whenever mum brought home watermelon, we had to eat it outside because it was so, so drippy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we'd eat the watermelon and then we'd play, hey, look, Tammy's a Dalmatian. So we'd eat the watermelon and then spit the seeds at her and see if we could make them stick to her fur. She that, loved it. That is a much better ending to that story than, than I you thought it was going to be. I know. Yes. But yeah, when I talk about a dog loving it and drippy, it's not good. Ellen Whalen Smith, the author of the book, says, with his seemingly unerring instinct for awkward sexual metaphors, Noyes compares the indiscriminate emptying of one's seed into a woman to the discharge of a blunderbuss gun into a friend's face. Yes. It is better to fire in the air, he admonishes, than to kill somebody with it. It's, I mean, I it's love like, it. yeah, you would never not want to do this in the same way that you wouldn't want to unload your gun by shooting it. Don't shoot in your friend's <laughs> face. Just eat your melon and spit out the seeds. And look, I mean, you did argue before about a slightly inzellish tone to Mr. Noyce. But when he was asked about, quote unquote, regular sexual intercourse, he discussed it as, and I'm sorry, this is one of those ones where every once in a while, someone on the internet will say something nice about sex and be sex positive. Oh, and so many people will swing in to say, that's never happened to me. And just like brutally self-own mm. to the point where you're surprised they can walk. But listen to this. Ordinary sexual intercourse is a momentary affair terminating in exhaustion and disgust. If it begins in the spirit, it soon ends in the flesh which is spiritual and is drowned in the propagative, which is sensual. The exhaustion which follows naturally breeds self-reproach and shame. And this leads to dislike and concealment of the sexual organs, which contract disagreeable associations from the fact they are instruments of pernicious excess. This undoubtedly is the philosophy of the origin of shame after the fall. Adam and Eve first sunk the spiritual and the sensual in eating the forbidden fruit. Dude, you have... Noise, you're doing it wrong. You just invoked literally the first people to back up that no one likes sex because you're bad at it. Oh, 
God. Although, from the sounds of things, he got a lot of practice. So one imagines he got better at it. That's right. And he was basically, everyone have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, consensually, unless you fall in love with them or you're trying to be too exclusive. And he called that sticky love because. (laughs) I love that Bonnie Bear song. (laughs) My God. He and I have different ideas about what sticky means. And it just meant you're getting stuck on the other person. And this is one of those things where depending on which article you read about this, like you'll hear it as, oh, this is your, like, this is the reason for it. It's that, you know, babies should be communal. And if you're having sex that leads to babies, you're more likely to be attached to those babies, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Religious angle. They were extremely poor and could not afford to keep children. So whether this was a practical decision or whether this was a religious decision really comes into question. But really, when you talk about Mr. Noyce, if he had the thought, therefore the thought is holy. And so it doesn't really matter where it came from. That's because he had problems of his own thought. Everyone should suffer. Yeah. And so what they refer to this as is coitus reservatus. Other places oh. it might be called tantra, but, you know. And male continence. Yeah, male continence. That's the other one. Which, look, man, I'm. I'm not one to judge your vocabulary or your nomenclature, but it just does not roll off the tongue, does it? I mean, it depends on how you do it. That's true. Uh, but I do like that male continents or, you know, reserving your juice. All um, the going, none of the coming. It does mean that the men are taking full responsibility for contraception, which is just, uh, it's fantastic. But I liked that. The main euphemism for sex used in the community was interview. Like I'm going to go and have an interview with Ted. Um, and it makes interviewing for a job a whole new thing. And then I got I got to thinking, I was like, they call Michael Parkinson the king of interviewing. Good on you, Parky. What's funny is that you mentioned the interview for a job thing. He would specifically link, like suggest this spiritual marriage, a.k.a. boning down, mm. uh, between the most spiritual and the least spiritual people. Because spiritualism is stored in the gonads. Mm. I don't know, I'm putting but words also, in his mouth there. It's really all about sex as a recruiting tool, which has been seen in many a cult. Absolutely. Although it wasn't, it was really regarded as quite shocking in this and people thought they were just dirty fornicators, which, mm. you know... Hooray. And thing is, I do love the confluence of their administrative sides and their sexual sides because every time you had sex, you had to write it down. It was all recorded. Every single time. There is a bit that gets a a smidge icky. Look, in the context of the mid-1800s, legally this was fine, but that doesn't mean that we have to think it's fine. Oh, it's really icky. So... Because sex was such a theme and it was wholly in more ways than one and it signified spiritual communion with each other and with God, then as soon as the children were in strong inverted commas, old enough, uh, they would be introduced to the sexual world. But by by much older partners, and I think there was still a degree of consent but coerced consent anyway children often in their early to mid-teens if you were a boy you were paired up with a postmenopausal woman so that until the the young boys learned male continence uh there would not be any unwanted pregnancies and the girls would be paired up with men, much older men, because, of course, they could control their orgasms. And were strong in the spirit, etc. And that's a bit where I want to go a bit quiet because yeah. that's kind of not comfortable. It's bad and wrong. I don't care what you say, Clan of the Cave Bear. It's still wrong. <laughs> um, and also, again, taking that slight diagonal secular view, it's also a way of... I'm going to cringe as I say this, rewarding the long-term old mm. men members of the cult. I mean, it's the, gross. the women were horn dogs as well. The, That's by true. all reports, the the older women in this cult Voracious. were absolutely glorious bang rabbits. <laughs> uh, but, of course, in the, in the context of having sex with children, that's not cool. And nope. Ain't cool at all. Even if it was legal at the time, ick. <laughs> I mean, a big ick. 
Very much so. I think we should probably leave the sex with children thing behind and try and get the taste out of our mouth with a bit of communist work ethic. Go for it. Which, to be honest, they only worked for about six hours a day. Mm -hmm. And they weren't lazy by any means, but they just... No, think about all the effort they had to do for sex. I mean, God, that's that's a work ethic if nothing else. But they dug work so much because they saw it uh, because they weren't doing it, you know, for any particular reward except everyone living well. A job well done on both sides of the house. Yeah, and they would rotate their jobs as well. So you wouldn't get bored. If you were doing a job you didn't like, you'd only be doing it for a few days and then you'd go on to the next thing. It was a kind of, it was a cool way to work. Mm -hmm. And I've got um, a description of one, you know, terribly arduous day from someone. Um, And this is again from the Oneida book. It says, one member's diary records a typical day in which he rose at five, ate breakfast, studied the Bible for a spell, and then went off to milk the cows. After three hours of labouring with hammer and tongs in the blacksmith shop, (laughs) having pretty well moistened his shirt, um, he retired to his room to read until the noon bell called him to dinner. It's only just noon. I know. And he might also load wood or husk corn or do the laundry and it will be interspersed with piano lessons or Greek class. They really... I know there's there's many, many opportunities for a porn script, but <laughs> it's also they really valued education. Mm-hmm. Um, so these were smart, sexy buggers. <laughs> They're my favourite type. It does read a little bit like those, uh, you know, the skinny bit on the side of the Sunday paper where someone describes what their usual day is like. <laughs> I mean, there's no mention of activated almonds, but if I'm like, I'm milking cows, I'm reading the Bible, I'm doing black cemetery, and then by lunch, uh, my shirt's pretty moist, yeah. so I might stop in for some activated almonds. It just fits right in. So, yeah, 9.15, time for sex. 9.30, <laughs> time for sex. 9.45. Time for different sex. Would work. <laughs> Which is a euphemism for sex. Um, (laughs) 10 o'clock, recording and paperwork of said sex. (laughs) And 2 p.m., an entire committee having a go at me for some (laughs) mutual criticism. For saying I suck at Halo 3. Oh, right. (laughs) Right. Fellatio 10 (laughs) video games 4. Women wore, they were allowed to have their hair shorter than the rest of society and I love that they wore knee-length dresses with visible pantaloons. It's so rare that I get to use the word pantaloons. Right. I love it. (sighs) Uh, Because everyone else had fancy hair and hoop skirts. It's very hard to blacksmith in hoop skirts, I'm assuming. Yeah, (laughs) but easy access. I like that. Because so far, this, I mean, this speaks to me a lot. You don't get too attached to your partners. Mm. You get to read a lot, Mm. learn a lot, bonk a lot. Yeah. You don't, you're not expected to get attached and you're not expected to have children. It's practically a fantasy camp. Your son is adorable. The the children of every person that I know and love represents the pinnacle of humankind in small form. It's also but, it does help that you know some very cool children. I know. Well, that's pretty much I'm very selective. <laughs> but children are also a gigantic pain in the ass. True. And in the Oneida community, once they hit 15 months, they're off to the children's house. Mm-hmm. There's no until they're old enough to... Um, <laughs> so... Uh, child rearing was also seen as a communal thing and you weren't supposed to get too attached. Yeah, they had rotating mothers and fathers just like any other job. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of, you know, it takes a village to fuck each other and bring up children. (laughs) And I really accept that people would actually get in trouble if they did hang out with their children too much, which Mm. I think that's just unnecessary harshness. Yeah, and really the punishment seemed to be just a bit of a talking to from Mr. Noyce. And then further, maybe another week where you couldn't see your child. Yeah, maybe you can go and live over there for a bit. Yeah, because they did have a number of different communities. So in 1862, so they'd been there for, what, 14 years or so, 
they thought, right, enough of this simple living. And how good are the photos of the big mansion house that they built? It's a big old mansion. And even living in Sydney, where you can turn a corner and see like a New Orleans palatial wraparound upper balcony, you know, it's a good house. It's a good house. Oh, it's massive. It's got a couple of hundred rooms in it mm-hmm. uh, and they all built it. But it's by this time as well, they're really starting to go, okay, communism's really great, but do you know what else is really super great? Money. What if we beat those stinking capitalists at their own game? Right? Wouldn't that be fun, everyone? Let's it's an intuition it. I just had, which means it came from God. Oh, and so, okay, they've got these communities, these satellite communities uh, in Brooklyn, Wallingford, Connecticut, Newark, New Jersey, and Cambridge. They're also going, uh, let's go out into the community, learn how to make stuff and build and buy up some factories. And they finally, okay, so they're bad at relationships, good at sex. Uh, <laughs> Bad at waiting until people are old enough to have it se- have sex. Good at metalwork. Okay at communism. Fucking amazing at industry. Killer capitalists. Right? You know what it's like? And, and I apologize, this is a long bow to draw. It's like video game consoles. You've Where's- lost me. Okay. Nintendo and Sega are slaving away in the console mines. Mm. Right, trying to make this thing because this is the only thing they make and it's the only thing they're good at. It took Sony and Microsoft, who had money from TVs and computers respectively, to make a thing that no one said would work and that they did not care about to become the two most successful video game companies in the world. It's the opposite of New Coke. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Let's just keep it simple. It's a a constant source of disappointment to many of my friends that I'm not into video games. Anyway. (laughs) It's so of its time that the first thing they started making was animal traps. Mm-hmm. And because I think one of the, a couple of the people in the community was super into hunting um, and, you know, skinning animals. And it just so happened that the finest traps in New York State were made by someone who was already in the community. Mm-hmm. So they kind of went, dude, how do you make traps? And he went like this. And they went, we can make machines to do that. They were so good at making things that trapped small furry animals. Yeah, and the fur trade was still one of the most powerful industries in the world at this Massive. time. The 20s hadn't even happened yet. Oh, and yeah. that was like and it was central. Whole, yeah, it was just one of those things where <laughs> if you could say to a trapper who could make their entire lifestyle off of catching things and selling their fur, hey, by the way, I can sell you something that is not only good at what it does but reliable and you know if you see one in a store that you'll buy it and it'll work. Should Fur Central be this, this episode's T-shirt? That's a better T-shirt than neutral <laughs> criticism. Maybe it should be on some pants. <laughs> <laughs> Look out, Juicy Couture. (laughs) Juicy Couture presents Fur Central. (laughs) That may be the worst thing you have ever said. Best. You mispronounced the word best. So, uh, you know, as a natural progression from animal traps, they also got into uh, making silk thread and fruit and vegetable canning. But were they really, really hit the market huge? was spoons. I didn't realise they started making iron spoons first because I think they had the machinery for it. Mm-hmm. And they got so good at making cutlery that they started to mm, kind of be communist traitors and hire labour, paid labour. So what you're saying is that communism in practice in fact, showed some signs of a free market economy. Yes, or as the T-shirt would say, bad communist. <laughs> I would like a T-shirt that says bad communist. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there are several podcasts named it. Shut already. up. No, it's my original amazing <laughs> TMTF, idea. Mail, put it in an envelope, seal Shut it, mail it to yourself. Up. Copyright, Joe Thornelly. I don't need to. I'll just put it out. I just won't edit it out. <laughs> Do you reckon... 
On the scale of proper bonkers to genius, where did noise sit? I think he sat a little further down towards the bonkers end, just in my opinion. No, not far off, sort of, you know, if, if it's on the left, he'd be left of centre. And how much of that opinion that puts him to the left of centre is based on the fact that he was super into eugenics? A lot. And that's yeah. because here's the thing. We've been having kids like willy-nilly, man. We're not even trying. If you make a spoon, you want to make a spoon. You know, you don't want to just, you know, fluke out and have a fork. Oh, my God. Which was what the rest of the cult was about. <laughs> I just thought of something. They, this cult literally had sex and then spooned afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Forks first, then spoons. Amazing. Yeah, because here's the thing. Why don't we make perfect people on purpose? Because... We're all, I, I mean, I'm perfect being Mr. Noyce, and you guys are kind of perfect. No more Mr. Noyce guy. Oh, you, you, how long did you have that one? No, just then, which is shame. Inspiration struck, which came from God. Mm. So, but here's the thing. He read Plato, he read Darwin, he read Galton, and he read some agricultural breeding books, and after a really confusing day with a wire brush and some beans, uh, he went, why don't we just, like, pair people up? on like the best mental prowess and the best, most spiritual people. Why did he use interview for a, as a euphemism for sex when he could have used wire brush and beans as a <laughs> euphemism for sex? <laughs> Honestly. Uh, horticulture, the horniest of all of the yeah. trades. Although he called it stirpiculture. <laughs> no, it's the worst. It comes from the Latin for stem, but it's just, it's the worst word. He should have called it stupiculture. <laughs> But I so and it's kind of the idea that spiritual spirituality or mm. you know piousness almost is genetic, so that if you get the most pious people and make a baby, mm -hmm. then you get a super closer baby. to perfection. And this was a ten-year experiment, and there were fifty-eight children that resulted. I think only twelve were accidental pregnancies, and no, everything they, else was part of the experiment. Can it, can, yeah, they said that over twenty years, they only had twelve unplanned pregnancies. Which is amazing. But I love this bit. So this is again from the Oneida book, which is amazing. It says Noise suggested that the typical man who is to head the race of the future is a compound of the Yankee and the Jew. The Jews, as representatives of true religion, oh boy. would be combined with invention, enterprise, and capacity for progress, oh boy. which were characteristics of the Yankee temperament, to forge the Yanko Jew, <laughs> the winning candidate for leadership of the world. And, or, uh, as my housemate said when I told him about this bit, Yankee Joodle Dandy. Oh. Seldom do you see a sentence that somehow manages to, like the death blossom in the last Starfighter, spin around 360 oh and offend God. absolutely everyone. Or praise everyone in a way that none of them want to be praised. Yeah. Stop helping us, please, yes. Mr. Noyce. Yes. I reckon the only problem with this idea was that it kind of it kind of said the inbreeding was okay. Mm-hmm. That mm -hmm. if you've got a really pious person and their niece or nephew or cousin or, although there's no documented cases but there's nothing to contradict that either, maybe a brother or sister. It's fairly likely that there was some brother and sister stupid culture <laughs> happening at Oneida. Just one pious family gathering. Oh, my God. Real pious. Cream pious. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just choked a little. Horrible. Oh. Pornhub presents Oneida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pantaloons. <laughs> and Noyce himself fathered at least 10 children. Uh, 12 if you count the ones done by his son. Oh, God. <laughs> because if he's the most pious, therefore he should be able to produce the most perfect children. In also, theory. I have to say mm. that Noyce's son Theodore. He Teddy. Was it was fine. <laughs> Listeners, you cannot see the face that Joe is making right now. 
It I is had levitious. to look at photos of everyone. And as I sent to you yesterday, mm. the old, not the younger ones, but the older pictures of Noyce, Robin Williams could have played him. And I looked up everyone else and all of the women that were described in the research as complete hornbags. Um, look, I don't want to judge. <laughs> but they Let, look let's so stern. Stern is a good word for it. Bored is another one. Just, <laughs> just tired. Oh, They're all really upset. tired. Um, Can't we play a board game, John? <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I've already told you what happens when you play Monopoly. <laughs> Coming second is the best. Or never. <laughs> Sometimes not at all. <laughs> so by the time Spoons made their appearance and by the time Stirper Culture Mm-hmm. Could really run its course. By the time the uh, generation of Jeopardy champions that they were raising were yeah. about 10. They were pretty much, the only way was down. Mm-hmm. Which is not another t-shirt. And this was a fair, a fair while before the start of the decline. In the US, there was an anti-obscenity law that was passed in 1873. Mm. And that included a ban on sending obscene information through the post. There's one publication called The Witness and one called The Circular, all done on the Oneida printing press. And because they talked about complex marriage and male continence in particular, because that was considered a form of, oh, my God, the word has completely gone out of my head. What word are you trying to say? Not getting pregnant. Contraception. Contraception! (laughs) A form of contraception. That was considered obscene. Yeah, which, by the way, listeners, if you're interested, there's a very good episode of Sawbones about anatomy where they talk about the Comstock loss, which is what we're talking about, and how if you were a doctor, you were not able to order your medical textbooks because Mm -hmm. it contained reproductive information. It's wild. I've got a great, it's not original print, but it's a reproduction of the original print of Grey's Anatomy. And... It's just, of course, I opened instantly to the vagina page, but the language is so carefully put. So a mix of that, that the community was really not regarded well Mm -hmm. in that environment, in that climate, but also the fact that as a result of a lot of the younger generation of community people being sent out to get a good education because they really valued it, They did want to come back because it was a great way to live. The working conditions were great. There was sex on tap. It was really good. (laughs) Hot and cold running sex. Yeah, and it was a great great place to be. But it meant that these young people were coming back from college but they were agnostic or atheist. You know how it is. The kids go out into the world. They see new things. Kids these days. How are you going to keep them down on the farm? After they've seen an Oneida orgy. Oh, don't come back here with your with your science and your your big mon- ideas. Monogamy. Yeah, that, that's actually a thing. Where the younger generation were rebelling by wanting to be in monogamous relationships. It's like the children yeah, of hippies assholes. who became accountants. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, any kids that I would have that would be really into Marzipan and Disney movies. It's um, like, oh no, I'm not Pippin Moonflower anymore, Dad. I'm John. Yeah. No! <laughs> and that mixed with rumours that Noyes was about to be arrested for statutory rape. Like legit, someone tapped him on the shoulder and went, <clears throat> uh, you might want to get out of the country. I'm just saying, you're about to be arrested for something and it rhymes with tachitory straight. <laughs> but also now, it's yeah. like decades later. This thing has been going for 40 years. Things have been going for 40 years. Uh, we've got about 40 T-shirts so far. Yeah. So he was like... Do you know what I'm going to do? See ya. Yeah, it's one of those things where as if everyone in the community gathered around in the town square to read the letter that their leader was about to be accused of statutory rape. And they said, what do you think about this great leader? And he was a fucking blip on the horizon. A dust cloud in his shape slowly dissipated. And he yelled, go home, children. And he went, how do you feel like about this as a native? He just went, do you know the place for someone that's been running a utopian community and has, is about to be arrested for statutory rape? I'm going to Canada. I'm going to Niagara Falls, bitch. I'm, <sighs> I'm going to buy a really expensive T-shirt and stare at the good side of the falls where they can't arrest me. That's right. Also, he then sent a letter back to the community that basically was summarized as, 
lol jokes, marry who you want, maybe don't do this thing anymore. Yeah. And it's like, I was just kidding about the sex thing, you guys, and you fell for it. And I woke up and it was all a dream. It was really cute that you guys believe me, but yeah, so bye. And as a result, because he said, okay, complex marriage isn't a thing anymore, and that was partly because a lot of people were using, a lot of the young people who wanted to lead the community were using that as a kind of a bargaining chip. Mm -hmm. They were like, well, we're going to get in trouble if we keep going with the complex marriage. Therefore, that's a reason to overthrow the Noise family. Mm -hmm. And so Noise just went, fine, it's not a thing anymore. But then a lot of, because of society, because a lot of the women in the community were single mothers essentially and the late 1800s were not fantastic for single mothers, everyone just got married. (laughs) They all just paired off and got normie married yeah it's the the marriage equivalent of putting a paper bag over your alcoholic beverage see everyone it's cool it's cool no one can see it it's fine it's fine was it fine joe it wasn't fine and by 1881 they went oh we don't want to be utopian community anymore we want to be a company (laughs) you know what we're great at that whole capitalism making stuff so they became a joint stock company. The sex was fine, but the forks were great. Oh, amazing. I did read, read one rumour that they reckon that Noise still made some, because they got quite into like mystic spirituality and talking to ghosts and things near the end. Mm-hmm. And apparently Noise was still making some business decisions via seance after that point, which well, I only I mean, like as a cool fact. <laughs> I mean, like... If you're already saying that every intuition you have is fine, also anything that a cool ghost tells you, it's not that far off. Are there any non-cool ghosts? Although Casper, he's not really cool. Like, is you he? know he's the ghost of Richie Rich, and Richie Rich like categorically oh, no. sucks. Like, well, they all do. No such um, thing as an ethical billionaire. I do love that one of Noise's sons, Pierre Pont. Pierre Pont. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, PP. <laughs> Um, I wonder if he had a monogrammed shirt and then whenever he walked around, someone was like, you've got PP on your shirt. Yes. Anyway, he decided, look, we'll consolidate everything. We don't want to make traps. We don't want to can fruit and vegetables anymore. We're not doing any more silk thread. Just knives and forks. And spoons. And pie servers. All those. All those. Those scalloped um, spoons that no one's quite sure what they're for. They're for jelly, actually. They actually grip the jelly bag. Uh-huh. And they became the largest producer of flatware in the world for most of the 20th century. And you can still, well, they don't manufacture in the US anymore, but you can still buy their stuff. And I'll put a link to the website up on the Zealot Facebook page. And Lucas brought a fork today. Yes, I specifically sourced and purchased this fork. Where did it, where did you get it from? From a reputable antiques company on the Electronic Bay. (laughs) Oh, the eBay. Yes, we should call it the Electronic B. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I did in fact source it from the Electronic B. And there are a number of websites that will categorize, much like with any kind of vintage thing, they will categorize based on the markings and the patterns and such, exactly when it came from and how valuable or rare it is. Fairly commonly known as, well, they were the Oneida Community Limited, but community for short. Mm-hmm. And they really only went away from cutlery production during the wars. So in the First World War, they produced ammunition clips, gas shells, combat knives, surgical instruments. And during World War II, they even helped make trucks. and. Oh, my um, God. Can you imagine? Jet being, engine parts. Can you imagine being stabbed by a bayonet made by a free-loving Oneida community person? <sighs> oh, my God. It's like being stabbed by one of their bayonets is just like God entering you <laughs> really sharply. How did you die? You don't want to know. Yeah, it's a long... That that would be a very uncool ghost joke. But you can still go to the mansion house. You can stay there overnight. You can pick one of these, all these small rooms, or you can stay in the John Humphrey Noise suite. And my strong advice is to not take a UV light into there. It would be like a Jackson Pollock painting. Imagine the cool ghost Stephen stands <laughs> just on every surface. And to your left, you'll see his boning nook. Oh, my God. I'm like so many of those people spent, but we might have some time for some random facts. Random 
random, random facts. I'm talking random facts. I'm talking random facts about cults and that. Cults and that. That is the most perfect thing I've ever heard. I think the first fact I wrote down, usually I'll go through all the other things and then add some random facts at the end, but this was the first thing. Eventually, noise actually went deaf, <laughs> which means that there was no more noise. Oh. <laughs> no. I mean, we've spoken about the fact that they went from communists to real, really capitalists, and they excelled at, cap- at capitalism. They're real good at it. So they also loved, you know, they had this big house and they loved to look like the fancy capitalists they were. Mm-hmm. And the first lawnmower was patented in 1830 and so it became super fashionable in mid to late 1800s to have this incredibly fancy manicured lawn. So when they weren't having sex and making spoons, Oneida community frothed for a game of croquet. (laughs) They loved it. (laughs) They were mad for it. No, my my fun fact was that with this stirpiculture, which again is the worst it's word. So it's like crepuscular. It's no. one of those words where it's like there's so many twists and turns in it. But I, I made the joke about them being Jeopardy champions because the biggest thing they focused on was on active play and education. So it was like, oh, we wanted you to read widely, have you know, dozens of different teachers. And when the kids became old enough, they're like, we're going to send you out like shock troopers with parachutes into other colleges to learn crap and come back. It's like, we're going to breed these champions who are going to go on the chase and they are just going to dominate. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, up there with George Bernard Shaw in the most chill eugenics program. Where it's just like, hey, what if we treated these kids real good? I know. And taught them lots of interesting stuff and then they'll be good at stuff and wouldn't that be good? Because there's these arguments that, well, clearly stirpiculture worked because these are really, really smart children. Mm-hmm. And it's like, was that because you bred it into them or because your general policy was teach them well and let them lead the way? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was Whitney Houston? talking about the Oneida community children? I'm almost positive that she was. Yeah, I know. Thank you, Whitney. (laughs) You just, you keep on giving. Oh, I will put this on the Zealot Facebook page. But because they were so good at industry and they made so much money, they could afford some really, really good illustrators for a lot of their print ads. And because they were... They dominated the first half of the 20th century with silverware. They had some gorgeous, gorgeous ads. Um, And I really had a good time looking through them, but I saw one that was really ironic because it's 1946 and it's got an illustration of a couple on their wedding day Um, and they've been given some Oneida silverware and it's like they started off just going, nobody gets married, and now they're like, hey, Give some of our silverware for the wedding. But if you're going to get married, get married and serve your wedding cake with an Oneida flatware cake server. And they were great at the illustrations but not so good at the slogans because um, on this particular ad it says, if it's community, it's correct. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think, I mean, just pick one of the T-shirts. It's bad. Oh. Look, like a ginger messiah who started a utopian community, I'm spent. (laughs) So all I'll say in closing is a little bit of Monica in my life, a little bit of Erica by my side, a little bit of Rita is all I need. Join a cult. Don't join a cult. Thank you. You've been listening to Zealot, produced by me, Joe Thornley, and a fancy fork. My co-host for this episode was Lucas Brown, who makes Drong Strinks. Further reading and pictures of croquet-loving bang rabbits can be found on the Zealot Facebook page. And music is by the Everglades, who smells like fresh-cut grass. Eee, eee, cult.